I think you would agree with me that we live in a sinful world that is full of evil. I think you would agree that uh, at times, and if it hasn't happened, you know it will happen, that you will be mistreated by this world or people in this world. People will lie about you, say false things about you, make up stories about you, hurt you, that at some point, because we live in this sinful, fallen world, at some point, there's chances we'll be victimized if you haven't been already. And the reality of that is, is many times when that happens, it's somebody you're close with. Maybe a co-worker. Maybe it's a, a family member. Maybe it's someone who's a close friend. But many times, when someone has said something against you or hurt you or falsely accused you, many times it's someone who has been close. How are we supposed to respond to that? How are we supposed to handle that? And I think that's an important question because God doesn't hold us accountable for how other people treat us. God holds us accountable for how we respond in the situation. I have no control over whether someone says something negative or hurtful or mean or lying against me. I have no control over that, and I'm not responsible for their actions, but I am responsible and will be held accountable to how I respond and reply to that situation. When people wrong you, do you feel justified in wronging them back? Do, do you contribute toward the escalation of conflict, or do you help put conflict to rest? When people have wronged you, do you carry a vengeful spirit or do you respond with a forgiving spirit? Today we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this subject. And I believe if you will take seriously the words of Jesus today, as we open this up and we get into this great book, Jesus' words today, I believe if you will take it seriously today, the Lord can do a transformation work in your life and quite possibly do even transformation work in your relationships that you have. I believe that instead of maintaining an angry, bitter, uptight disposition, God can give you peace and love and joy and comfort in the face of evil. I believe He can do that if we're willing to say, Lord, I, I now understand Your Word and I want to put it into action. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me as we continue hearing from Jesus. Your Bible probably has this highlighted in red if you have a red letter Bible. Because these are the words of Jesus. And he's been speaking this sermon. We've been walking through this over the last several weeks. And so today we continue in verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, for you to speak in this room right now. 
I ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to do a work in this room, in our hearts and our minds, that you would guide us, shape us, direct us, change us, point us in the right direction. Father, Jesus speaks this great message, and Lord, when we get it right, when we get it right, there can be peace and there can be joy. There can be transformation. There can be life change. And so, Father, I just pray that You would open our ears, our mind, and our heart to Your Scripture today. Help us to hear it. Help us to understand it. And then, Lord, help us to live it. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. These these words from Jesus are extremely important when it comes to loving those who hurt us. Extremely important when it comes to our relationships. And when we apply these words from Jesus to our marriages, apply them to our work relationships, apply them to to our, our neighbor relationships, apply them to our friend relationships, some great things can happen. We live in a society, though, a society kind of a raw power. The one with the strongest fist or the most guns wins. He who has the most toys wins. Be on top and you should never be on the bottom. Instead of the golden rule, I think our ethics have become like this in our society. We may not say it, but this is how we behave. That do unto others first before they do unto you. In other words, don't let them get you. Make sure you get them first. Or if they do anything bad to you, finish them off before they can do anything worse. Or the one that just is one of my personal favorites. It just drives me crazy when I hear people say it. I don't get mad, but I get even. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that the mentality of Christ? All these expressions are natural responses. I mean, it's very natural for us to respond. When someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. When someone's done me wrong, I want to do wrong back to them. I want to make sure I protect my own interests and take care of myself. That's a natural response. But Christian, may I tell you something? We're called to live a supernatural life. We're not called to live a natural life. We're called to go against the culture. We're called to, to live a different way if we claim Christ as our Savior. And these words are directed to those who are following Christ. In our text today, Jesus is saying, when you love without limits, you are like God. Here's my proposal for you today. Here's what I want you to get. In order to have healthy relationships, you must love without limits. If you want to have healthy relationships, we must love without limits. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are disciples of His, if, if you believe in the cross, you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you said, I've claimed that, I accept that, you're a disciple of Jesus, then this is a call for us to live by. And I make the address kind of separate because if you haven't accepted Jesus as Savior yet, you're going to peek into what the call is. You're going to peek into what the life is. If you're just thinking about, is Jesus my Savior? Am I going to accept Him? The call is large. Jesus is really saying, let go of your rights. Forgo your rights. You have no rights in Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, you have no rights when you become a disciple of Jesus. You signed up to die to self. Jesus said you take up your cross and you follow me. So in other words, I let go of my desires and I pursue his desires. I let go of my wants and I pursue his 
wants. And so Jesus in this text goes right against the culture. In 538, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. So if someone takes out your eye, you can take out their eye. Someone takes out your tooth, you can take out their tooth. Now where does that come from? Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And the phrase causes some to look at the Old Testament and think, man, the Old Testament is kind of a savage mentality. It's kind of a bloodthirsty mentality that if someone does you wrong, I can do you wrong. But that's not actually true when you understand what's going on. It's the foundational law of civilization is what was being established. And although the law allowed retaliation, it limited retaliation by setting some restrictions. The law was intended as an equalizer for justice so that people wouldn't just go around harming one another. If a person then knocked out my tooth, I was allowed underneath Old Testament law to take their tooth. And if someone took my eye out, then I was allowed to take their eye out. Or if someone took my cow, then I was allowed to take their cow. If someone took my sheep, I could take their sheep. If they took one of my uh, crops, I could take one of their crops. That was Old Testament law. It was to keep a balance. So if you do wrong to somebody, listen, it's probably going to come back to you. The problem is in our society today is we don't live by just an eye for an eye. We live more by a mentality, you took my eye, I'm taking your two eyes. Oh, yeah, you took my two eyes? Well, I'm going to take off your head. Oh, yeah, you took off my head? Then my family's coming after you. And it just escalates one thing to another thing to another thing. But the law was to try to keep a balance there. It didn't allow for the whole family to get involved and, and act, but that's what happens today. When, when we're wrong, we tend to line up forces. We tend to say, you've wronged me. I'm going to tell my family. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell everyone I can what you did to me so that everybody will be against you. Actually, if you know the history of Hatfield and McCoy's, that's kind of what happened. Started something really small, and then one did more to the other, another did more than the other. All of a sudden, they started lining up their friends and started lining up their family. And as you know, history, Hatfield and McCoy's, the battle went on for a long time because it kept escalating. The Old Testament law was to try to keep that down and say, if you've wronged one person, they can wrong you equally back, and hopefully that settles it. So what seems like a blood-hungry law was actually a way of limiting violence and bloodshed. That was the idea behind it. Now, we must make note and realize, though, although the law allowed one to get even within limits, it did not require one to get even. So somebody could have said, well, you you took out my tooth. You know what? I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to take your tooth. Oh, you took out my eye? That's all right. I'm not going to take your eye. Oh, you took one of my, my crops? I won't take one of your crops. They didn't have to. Even in the Old Testament, a person could forego retaliation. They could let it go if they wanted to. But they were within the law if they did have their retaliation. And, of course, Jesus' teaching goes above and beyond the law. In 539, Jesus declares to you, I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Now, I don't like the word resist in a translation of the NIV, because the word, the word really means is to retaliate against. If you read it very literal, it would be, I say to you, do not retaliate against an evil person. When people treat you bad, don't feel like you have to get them back. The word translated means do not render evil for evil. In other words, if they treat you bad, don't think you have to treat them bad. Jesus is talking about revenge, not self-preservation. He isn't telling us to be weak and passive. he's, he's He's telling us don't be vindictive. Don't be vindictive that you have to get even because someone has wronged you. And obviously, it's a high standard to live up to. 
in our culture, we're taught all the time, protect yourself, and someone does you wrong, then go ahead and get them back. Our text, Jesus provides four illustrations of this idea of don't be a retaliator. Don't feel like you have to be vindictive. Don't feel like you have to get back. First, he says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I, I think many times we've misused this verse. We use it as a, as a verse to prohibit self-defense. That's not Jesus' intent here. Notice that Jesus specifically says the right cheek. How many people are here right-handed? Raise your hand tall if you're right-handed. Look at all the hands. How many people are in left-handed? You're the only people in your right mind. I'm a lefty. You guys know the right side of the mind controls the left side of the body, right? So we're in our right minds. But most, of, most people are right-handed. 90% of the culture is right-handed. So now think about this passage. He says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Um, Luke, come here. I'm going to pick on you for a second. He's like, oh, Dad. Jump up here. Wait, scared me. I didn't know if you were going to make it. So in a fight, in a fight, what would happen? If I was going to throw him a punch, what side of the face am I hitting him on? That's a question. If I'm going to hit him with a punch, what side of the face am I going to hit him on? The left side. Stand this way. Okay, this is his left side of his face. If I was mad at him and we're going to fight, I'm going to hit him on the left side. And Jesus says, don't hit a person on the, don't, or when they slap you on the right side of the cheek, turn the other also. How am I as a right-handed person, because 90% of our population are right-handed, if I'm going to hit him on his right side of the cheek, I have to do what? I have to backhand him across the face. It's not going to work to go like this. You know, and if you're left-handed, your natural response is not going to be, let me do like that. Your natural response is going to be, I want to smack you like this. And Jesus said, if they smack you on the right side of the cheek, then go ahead and turn the other side and let them smack you that way too. Thanks, Luke. Now, <clears throat> say, what does that have to do with anything? In that culture, in that day, a slap to the face was considered a gross insult in the Jewish culture. It was one of the most demeaning and defiling acts you could do to somebody. Whenever you did that, you were like saying, you're horrible. You're scum of the earth. You're horrendous. You're not worth anything. You're lower than low when you're slapping someone. <coughs> and Jesus says, if someone insults you like that, go ahead and hit the other side as well. It's not so much of a physical thing. It's really a thing about their mindset and their attitude towards you. Even today, in the Irish community, they say, the back of my hand to you. The back of my hand to you. And they're saying that meaning you're scum of the earth. This, Jesus is not describing a physical act and telling us to play dead. So parents... When your child comes home and says, I'm being picked on and someone's bothering me, someone's bullying me, don't pull this passage out and say, well, Jesus tells you just to turn the other side of your cheek. That's not what it's talking It's about, about insult. Nowhere does it say in this passage that you should not protect yourself or you should not deal with people who are mistreating you physically. It's not saying to a wife who is being abused by her husband, let the abuse keep going. That you have to get out of. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about those who are insulting you and basically calling you scum of the earth. Jesus is saying when someone insults you, 
do not seek revenge. In today's culture, that would mean when someone flips you off. Don't turn and reply and flip them off. When someone writes an email that's nasty about you, don't reply with another email that's nasty about them. When someone posts something on Facebook that's wrong about you, don't think you have to get on there, get in the comment section, and, and argue your point. Allow it to work through it, and then people who know you will know the truth of who you are as a person. When you love without limits, you are like God. Several years ago, Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament. Now, it may have been several, several years ago. Anybody here still Tiger Woods fans? Ah, there's a few. Todd and I were talking about this yesterday. I still cheer for I want to see him win one. I'm tired of missing cuts. You know, I, I do. I want to see him end on a high. I know he's had his mistakes and his mess-ups. I want to see him win. But several years ago, he won the, the, the tournament. And you might re- remember that Fuzzy Zola responded with some mean racist remarks. It was all over the news and all over ESPN. Fuzzy Zoller said these words that were so racist against Tiger Woods. And it was almost like they're stirring the pot. Like, okay, what's Tiger Woods going to say? How's he going to respond? And here's what Tiger Woods said. He said, we all make mistakes and it's time to move on. We all make mistakes and it's time to move on. I mean, Tiger could have returned insult with insult and the media would have loved it. And they would have ate it up. But instead he refused to. Instead he said, let's move on. Is that your response? Someone insults you? Someone hurts you? Someone falsely accuses you? Can you say, you know what? We all make mistakes. Let's move on. We, we all say things we don't mean. Let's move on. Did Jesus did not give a tit for tat. Uh, he was not in the business of getting even. Some of us would even the score even if it kills us, and it may. What Jesus is saying is sometimes just, just let it go. Let's just just move on. If given a chance, if given a chance, let, let go. Don't move on. Sometimes when we're insulted, I think we revert to spiritual kindergarten. We go back to kindergarten or first grade. You took my crayon, gave me my crayon back. You tore my paper, I'm going to tear your paper. You did this to me, I'm going to do that to you. Jesus is saying, grow up. Mature on past that. Learning to let go and not retaliate is loving without limits. A second illustration, Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now again, in our culture, we read that and we're like, what do you mean sue you? Give him your shirt and then give him your coat as well. Fine, here's my shirt, here's my coat, I'll go to my closet and get some more. Because most of us have more shirts in our closet. Most of us have more coats in our closet. And we're like, no big deal. You want that? So we need to understand what was going on in that, uh, in that culture. The Greek word translated shirt is translated tunic in many English versions. The term refers to a long sleeve inner robe similar to a nightshirt that a person wore next to the skin. For us, it would be similar to like a, a man's t-shirt. But at that time, a tunic was like their undershirt, and it's what they would have probably crawled in bed with, but they also wore that, and it was helped to keep them warm. And Jesus saying, if someone comes to you and says, I want your shirt, then go ahead and give him your coat. Now, here's the deal. The coat was a big deal in that culture. The coat was huge because their coat was used as a blanket, and it was used for warmth. And Jesus saying, they want your T-shirt? Go ahead and let them have your coat that keeps you warm. Keep, keeps you warm. And it was possible that in Jesus' day to sue others for the very shirt on their backs. However, Jesus said, give them a coat. And it's addressing the situation here, dealing among the poor, is what Jesus would have been addressing. So as Jesus is trying to bring out these illustrations, he's talking more to those who don't have much. So if they would have said, here's my shirt because you've sued me, and now here's my coat, they would have been without. 
So when things got cold, it had been like, how do I get more? Or they would have been back on the street begging, saying, I need a shirt, I need a coat, can you help me? And Jesus said, when people falsely accuse you, go ahead and go the extra step and give them more if that needs to be done. Jesus makes a startling demand of his disciples that they must reverse the dynamic that instead of defending themselves or seeking retaliation, they must give this person who is full, who is unfairly attempting to take their most basic necessities. And Jesus says, let them have it. Go ahead and let them have it. It's a supernatural, radical way to think. When we think in our culture, retaliate, we think they're suing me falsely. Stand up and fight. Jesus says, just let them have it. Because when you love without limits, then you're living like God. Jesus gives another illustration. Verse 41, he says, whoever forces you to go one mile, with him go two. What does that have to do with anything? This verse provides the background for the expression, go the second mile. In Jesus' day, Roman soldiers had the authority to grab a civilian out of the crowd and say, carry my stuff. And they were allowed to get them to carry, but the way the law was written is they could only carry it for one mile. And so, as the Roman soldiers were going up and down the streets, they would pull a civilian and say, hey, I'm kind of tired, you can carry my stuff. You say, well, what's their stuff? Well, their, their, their battle gear and maybe their food. And, and some say that their equipment would weigh nearly 1,000 pounds. And they could pull a civilian and say, I want you to carry my stuff. And so with that, the Roman soldiers were hated by the community there. People were like, I don't want a Roman soldier to grab me. But Jesus is saying, if you're grabbed out of the crowd and says, carry it, don't carry it just one mile, carry it two. Now, they were very specific in that culture. They would keep track. A thousand paces was considered a mile. So as the Roman soldiers were going, they would say one, two, Three, as they would walk along, they'd be counting out those things. Could you imagine being the one carrying them? You already hate the Roman, the Roman soldiers. You already have that mindset saying, I don't like them. What would you be doing with the equipment? I don't know about you. I'd probably be like dragging it in the mud. Oh, I got it. Oh, I dropped something. Oh, I'm sorry about that dent. I mean, I think that would have been their mindset. I don't really want to do this with the right heart. I don't want to do it at all. But because the law says I can go that one mile, that thousand paces, I'll do it. And Jesus says, don't just go one, go two. Hold on a minute now, Jesus. That's a little crazy thinking, I think. That's not what anybody else would do. Remember, Jesus raises the bar. In other words, when the boss puts extra work on you, and you're like, this isn't fair. I'm not getting paid for this. So-and-so gets off extra time. So-and-so gets treated this way. Jesus would say, do the extra work. School, teacher treats the student one way and treats you a different way. Why does that kid get treated with extra privileges and fairly? And I feel like I'm not getting treated as fair. Jesus would say, do your best in the situation that you're in. Marriage, what's the extra mile? Is it, guys, maybe it's time to get up off the couch and help the wife? Is it, ladies, I need to go and assist my husband in some of his duties and help him out? What is the extra mile. See, when you love without limits, then you learn to love like God loves. There's one more illustration. In verse 42, Jesus says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This illustration has to do with what's known as the law of lending. In Deuteronomy 15, the law, the laws that are there that describe we're describing how you cancel a debt. In their culture, they had a rotation of year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, and year seven, and then it would rotate again, year one and all the way through year seven. 
lending would take place during those seven years. But when year seven came, all debts were wiped clean. So you can start over. And everybody was on the same seven years. It wasn't like how we know today. I've got my 30-year fixed mortgage on my house, and I may be done in the year 2052, and you have yours, and you're going to be done in 2025. No, seven years stayed the same. So if it was 2001 and the seven years came, all debts were wiped clean. We go 2008, seven years later, all debts are wiped clean. It's a very different kind of culture. And so people, could you imagine being a lender? Well, I'll lend you year one, but year six, mm, I don't know. I think I better tighten things up because they may not pay it back. And in year seven, I have to wipe it clean. Could you imagine being in year seven and someone comes to you and says, hey, I need a loan. Can you give me some help? I need some extra hands. Year seven, everybody would be like, no way, Jose, because at the end of this year, it all wipes clean. There's no way I'm lending money. And what Jesus is addressing here is when there are people in need, they give to them. Give to them and don't worry about, are they going to pay it back or are they not going to pay it back? This is not dealing with, hey man, I want to buy, get a loan for my nice new Cadillac I want. That's not what they're talking about. It wasn't, hey, give me a loan because I want to add on to my house 5,000 square foot and so make it all a big mansion. That's not what they were talking about. It wasn't, hey, give me an extra loan, lend me some money because I'm going on vacation. It was people who didn't have the necessities of life. It was addressing people who, if I don't get a little loan, I won't have food for my family tonight. If I don't get a little loan, I won't be able to feed my baby. Can you give me a little bit of money to help me out? And Jesus says, forget the old system you know. If there's somebody in need, then give to them and let them have it. Now in our culture today, you know, we have a thing that seems like people have their hand out often. Especially if you drive around the city, you'll see some people sometimes holding a sign. I think what Jesus is addressing here is within wisdom. Not just to go and just give out money just whenever and whoever, just to throw it around or just to lend to whoever, whenever. But in wisdom, with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I supposed to do this? Yes. Okay, then I will do it. And they may not pay you back. Most of us don't like paying taxes. Anyone here like their taxes being paid? I'd say most of us say, I don't like doing it. I think if Jesus was here today, Jesus would say, listen, you pay taxes as you're supposed to pay taxes. However, go even a little bit further than that. <coughs> Why don't you go get involved where your taxes are going? If it's going to help out a mother's shelter, go serve at the mother's shelter. If it's going to help out um, in an orphan situation, then go help out in the orphan situation. If it's helping out in a homeless shelter, then go help out in a homeless shelter. Jesus would say, take it further. <coughs> Pardon me. Jesus would say, if you want to love without limits, then don't hold back. Go ahead and give to him who asks of you, and then go even further. See, in order to love without limits, we must let go of our own rights. There's no way we'll do it if we don't let go of our own rights. You want your relationships to change? Work relationships? You want your marriage to change? Relationship with your children to change? With your husband, your wife, your friends, your co-workers, whatever it may be? We need to learn to love without limits. I see four commitments to live by in our relationships in this. I wonder if you'd make these four commitments. Maybe making a statement like this, because I desire healthy relationships, I'll love without limits by making these four commitments. One, I will not retaliate. When someone does me wrong, I'm going to be the person who says, I can let that go. When someone does me wrong, I'm not going to feel like I have to get them back. Two, I will give even when it hurts. Someone asks for something more of me, I'm willing to go do that. 
Three, I'll go above and beyond what's demanded of me. In my relationship, sometimes some things are demanded that are taxing and, and, and maybe not always fun, whether it be at work or be at home, but I'll be willing to go above and beyond. Four, I will not turn away when I see needs. I'll help. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Is I'm going to be a person of healthy relationships. I'm going to love without limits. I'm going to say I won't retaliate. I'll give when it, even when it hurts. I'll go above and beyond what's demanded of me, and I'll not turn away when I see needs. I'm willing to help. And you say, well, that's not exactly easy. No, it's not. And neither was the cross. Stop and compare these commitments to what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't retaliate. He could have. Oh, when he was being beaten, when he was being falsely accused, when crown of thorns being pressed on his head, he could have very well retaliated. He could have called down angels from heaven and said, rescue me from this mess. He didn't. He gave his life even when it hurt. He gave his life for you and he gave his life for me, going to that, royal, to that cruel cross and dying on a cross. He gave his life for you and me. It hurt. There was nothing fun about it. Absolutely nothing. He went above and beyond. He didn't turn away when he saw your need and my need of helplessness, of sinners who needed to be saved. And so you stop and think about it and you compare those commitments that Jesus calls us to and Jesus modeled that for us. Church, when we love without limits, our relationships will change. And beyond that, we have an opportunity to change a culture that's around us when we love in such a supernatural, radical way. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to love without limits. Help us, Lord, to love in a way that is radically different than this culture we live in. Help us, Lord, to not be people who want to retaliate. Help us, Lord, to be people who will go the extra mile. Help us, Lord, to be people who go above and beyond Your call. Help us, Lord, when we see need to go and meet it. God, I thank You for Jesus. I thank You, Lord, that He didn't retaliate, that He saw our need, that He was willing to go when it hurt. And Lord, we want to respond right now in this time of worship. Lord, we respond in communion. We respond, Lord, by receiving your grace and your forgiveness. Quite possibly, Lord, there's someone here who needs to respond by turning their life over to you. Father, help us to respond to the call of your gospel message. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.